Well, the, um, my script today, my uh, text for today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to uh, read verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God is pretty serious about us, especially the nation of Israel at that time, of getting the word of God in our heart to the point that we would love him. At first, when you look at it, you'll say, well, this is another command that seems almost impossible. And we have found out, and we're going to find out later in the message here, uh, what God did about that. Now, when we look at that, those three things, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, I like in verse 6 where he mentions your heart again. And on our Sunday morning Bible class, we've been talking about the heart, the soul, and things like that. And uh, uh, it becomes very clear that the heart meaning the whole person. I mean, the whole, everything we do involves our heart. The Bible says to be guard your heart from out of it comes the issues of life. And it says in verse uh, uh, 8, when you bind them uh, uh, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. A lot of the decor that the priests had, or even the Pharisees, they would have uh, phylacteries on their, they called them, on their forehead. And that was just a little box that they had, and they had scriptures in there. And then they had another reminder on their left hand. And they're also on their garments. They would have tassels, and that tassel is that scripture, that tassel is that scripture. So they were constantly reminded with the word of God. Uh, they weren't very far from it. I mean, uh, and even in Jesus' time, and we can go there, we can go to uh, Mark 12, and we can see what Jesus said. Mark 12, uh, we're looking at about verse 29. And at this particular time, Jesus was speaking, and he was being listened to by a lot of uh, a lot of the Pharisees, also a lot of the teachers, a lot of the scribes, a lot of your higher learned uh, hierarchy of the of the Jewish religion. And so they like to ask him a lot of questions. And here's you know they ask him, "What's the greatest commandment of all?" This is what he said. First of all, the commandments is, Heroes, Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. If you'll notice in there, he had a mind to it. I don't know why he did that, but it was good. It sure involves us. We get, a, uh, get our mind involved in that. But we read, what we read there in Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. 
And that's what the, that's what the Jews, that's what the nation of Israel recited twice a day in the morning and at night. Some of it when they laid down to go to bed. And they, they did it uh, faithfully. They'd done it for centuries. And they would do it, uh, a lot of times with their eyes closed. Maybe this is where we get our idea that when I pray, I'm going to close my eyes. Of course, we do that so we're not distracted. We can be centered right on what we're praying about. And the Shema was so important to them. Uh, there's even stories, and I don't want to call them stories, that doesn't sound right, but reports of uh, in AD 70 when the nation or when Jerusalem was completely ravaged, completely pulverized, the temple was torn down and everything. And they have reports of, of one particular rabbi or teacher, he was reciting the Shema, as they ripped his skin off with what they called a iron comb, iron comb with barbs in it. And they were tearing his, shredding his skin off, and he is reciting the Shema. And so that's how important that was. So here we have Jesus uh, answering correctly, obviously, uh, to this. And we know, we know that through the ages, reading the up-and-down devotion to God that the nation of Israel had, the, the, uh, their, their places of worship were in ruins. They, uh, there was, it was just neglected, forgotten, depending on who the king was, depending on who the leader was. Then they'd get another one and say, we're going to clean the place up. We're going to open up the scrolls again. We're going to read what the law of God is. We're going to get back to him. And we're going to get this right. And then they would have some good years again. God would bless them. And this would happen back and forth throughout all the time up until, uh, up until Jesus. And what the, the culmination of that, of that was they went into exile. And eventually they were without a nation anymore up until 1948. They had no nation. And so we can see the devastation that came about because of not following this and not loving him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then we have something marvelous happen. We can look in uh, Ezekiel, and that's in chapter 36, verse 26. This is an amazing statement in the light of what we, we just talked about here, about keeping all these things in your heart and obeying them. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Taking out the heart of stone. The heart of stone is a metaphor for a cold, uh, impassionate, uh, no love towards God. But he says, I'm going to put back in you, I'm going to put a heart of compassion, a heart that would love me, a heart that would value me. Also, Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, 31, and we're starting with uh, verse 31. Jeremiah has this prophetic word also. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, or another, I was a caretaker for them, says the Lord. What we have now, we have God writing. It says in Hebrews how he talked about writing tablets on their heart now, not on tablets of stone, where they had to look at it and do it. Now he's, he's upping the game here, and he's putting it in our heart. And you can't go any deeper than that. So what God's doing here, he's taking the next step for us to follow his command to love him. And he's not only that, he's taking our side again. He's stacking the deck in our favor again. He's putting it in our hearts and in our minds so we can follow this correctly. He's doing this so he can create in us a born-again spirit that we can wholeheartedly love him and follow his leading. And this, this is verified or this is repeated for us in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 and Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. Same thing, same words. So, I mean, it's brought down for the Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophecies. It's brought down now into when Jesus was walking and when Jesus was, was uh, uh, speaking. And also, this is what Paul in his gospel has brought out in his letter to the Hebrews. Amazing how God would do that. It reminds me uh, back in Deuteronomy, I think it was 28, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. If you want to choose me and follow me, you'll have life. If you don't, things will be cursed. Your life will be miserable. And what he says is, uh, choose life. Like, I'm going to give you the answer here. You know, choose life. That's the best way. So he's on our side here on this whole thing. I want to just go back and, and look at those uh, scriptures in Deuteronomy and in Mark. You don't have to put them on the screen, but, you know, I, I, that's an invitation. You know, it isn't an order and you better do it. It's an invitation to love. Because in First John it says he is love. God is love. God is love. He is love. So let's look at the components of that we have in us, the parts of us that are supposed to love him. And that's our heart. He started with, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's kind of funny when I was, when we were going through our, our, our Bible class, we're talking about, we were talking about a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so we, I know, checking in the heart, so we got involved with all kinds of things. What's the heart all about? Well, if, if you ever, if you ever stop and Google, heart and soul or soul and spirit or something like that, you're going to get a pile of Eastern mysticism and uh, cultish religion. Uh, sad to say, they're, they're right there you know, for that. And you have to really screen to find out a biblical version of what they're talking about with heart and soul. So we found out what the heart does. We found out that the heart is the heart can love, the heart can grieve, the heart can be overtaken, the heart can be broken, 
the heart can learn, the heart can imagine. Um, I've, <laughs> I've got a list of them. I went through every verse, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, what heart is. And the heart is an amazing thing within us. How it controls and how it factions in all parts of our life. And then I did the soul, just to, so we don't stay confused about the heart and the soul. What's the heart? What's the soul? Well, an easy way we found out by looking in the scripture is the soul acts just like the heart, but the heart is in the soul. And we talked about that this morning in our Bible class. The heart is in the soul. So when you say, well, how many souls are buried in the cemetery? You don't say how many hearts are buried in the cemetery or how many souls went down in that ship. You don't say how many hearts went down that ship. So we are a soul. In the Old Testament, the soul, that word was used to to describe the complete person. And so we can look at it. To me, it it simplifies it because I struggled with this for years, that the heart really is just we are a soul and our heart is in it. So the heart is such an important part. And the key thing here in Romans 5, 5, it says, it tells us that Love that we can have, love for God is already there. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when we became born again, we have love deposited in our heart. It's, it's in there. It's in there. And the soul. Going back to the soul, containing the heart. We are a soul. Soul is the self and it contains the heart in it. Matthew eleven twenty eight and thirty. Familiar with this? I'm sure all of you are. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're standing by Jesus, and He said that. <clears throat> Wouldn't that warm your heart? Wouldn't that feel good? Instead of him saying, you guys know these laws, don't you? Follow them or you're going to perish. Didn't talk like that. I'm meek and lowly at heart. You know what he was doing? He was going to free him from the law. He was going to free him from the oppression of the law. That if you break one part of the law, you better scramble, find yourself a lamb, shed some blood, and your conscience would constantly be. So you can see how overwhelming this prayer was in Deuteronomy, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It almost had to be overwhelming. Here's Jesus taking care of the soul. He says, here is rest for your soul. <clears throat> the, did we get rid of the law? Absolutely not. The law is good because it showed us our sin. So what did Jesus do with the law? He fulfilled it perfectly. Perfectly. Perfect. Every part of the law. Now, if you're in Jesus, you have fulfilled the law. That's what it means when he says, if you want to save your life, you lose it. 
want to gain your life. If you want to, if you want to gain real life, then you lose it. You turn it all over to me. Turn it all over to me. I'm going to do what you can't do, and I've already did it. His death, burial, resurrection, and glorification has made us righteous people. The mind. This is the one that Jesus added. The mind. The mind, we know, is the reasoning faculties of our, of our being, calculates, evaluates, understands, intellect, solves problems, and so on and so forth. This is the part that Jesus said also, love him with that also. How do we love him with our mind? What, what has he done about our mind? Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> Don't let anybody tell you you're going crazy. You've got a sound mind. The enemy would love to tell you you're, you're a little wacko. You've got a sound mind. It's been given to you. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, or who has known the mind of Christ that he may instruct him? Nobody. Nobody is more intelligent than, than uh, Christ. But, but we have the mind of Christ. We have access to the mind of Christ. That's all included in being born again. So we can, we can see what God has done with us with all these faculties of ours that we're supposed to love him with. You know, given these qualities and gifts from the Lord, we need to realize that we have enemies that desire to take that ability away. Enemies that want to take all these things away from us. Our carnal nature, in other words, our just flesh and nature, which we have, and Satan himself with thoughts, or just our surroundings, can all minimize this and make it of no effect. So what do we need to do with that? What do we need to do with those faculties of our mind and, and our, our, uh, our, our, our heart and, and our strength and, and our soul? What do we do with all these things? Well, we need to exercise them just like our body. If our body has, if we just sat down, laid down, and stayed that way, our body, we know, would atrophy. Strength would leave us. It's the same way with our spiritual aspects, parts of us. They would leave us also. They would become ineffective. So we need to exercise it. This is our half of it. He's done everything he needs to do. Just like the verse we read opening the service this morning. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We, We really don't have to ask for any more. We can thank him for it. We can ask him, give me the revelation of it. Give me a greater, greater level revelation of you, Jesus. Give me a greater revelation of the Holy Spirit in me. But it's been given. We need to acquire, you know, not, not even acquiring the right word. We need to stimulate them. We need to get them alive in our heart. They're there. They're already there. We don't have to beg and ask him for, for anything like that. We're already provided with that. First thing we can do is exercise our mind to turn our heart to the Lord. Because we're looking here, now how can I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? Second <clears throat> Corinthians 3.16 says, Whatever our hearts turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, our minds are easily distracted by things. And whatever distracts us is a veil. No matter what we do, no matter uh, the things that we become so involved in and so 
fascinated by that we, we just forget the Lord. There's no veil. That veil comes over your mind. I can remember years and years ago, um, I, I came to church one day, and, you know, the thought came to me, I've, I didn't even think about God all week. I never thought of it. I don't know what made me think of that. It was just a, I mean, I still remember to this day, I never even had a thought of God all in my mind all week. I never even thought of it. That was kind of a revelation to me. So, I mean, it's, it's possible. I did it. That we don't even think about it. So when we have other things that steal our attention, a veil comes to our heart. But what happens when we turn to the Lord? The veil is lifted. The Bible promises that. The veil is lifted. Do I have to mention Facebook? We spend more time on Facebook than we do the Word. I, I ain't going there. No. I, you, can, you can answer that one. Right? <laughs> that's just one thing. That's just one thing. We have a lot of competition. And what we need to do, we, we need to really practice purity in our mind. That's what, you know, to love God with all our mind, we have to have a purity in our mind. We have to have pure thoughts. We have to be able to extinguish quickly the lies of the enemy. In other words, take every thought captive. Evaluate our thoughts. You know, this isn't easy. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure there's some journalers here, some people that journal. And I think that's a fantastic thing. I, I, I do a lot of note-taking, but I don't really call it journaling, but maybe to an extent it is. But I think that's wonderful. You know, today I, you know, I did this and I was thinking this and I knew that was incorrect or, you know, and you can lay that out. You can, you can evaluate your thoughts. Take every thought captive. Take everyone captive and say, just a minute. Is that something that's pure and holy to the Lord? If it's not, I'm going to have a hard time loving him with all my heart. Evaluating our thoughts. Another one we can exercise is our emotion to love the Lord. We've got to remember that he gave us a new heart, didn't he? Ezekiel, he said that, and Jeremiah said that. He's going to give us a new heart. He did give us a new heart. He did that when we were born again. Here's something that might seem so simple and almost silly to us. Speak to the Lord out loud. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Tell him a couple times a day. Tell him first thing in the morning. Tell him when you go to bed at night. The last thing you say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. I couldn't say that for many, many years. Because I was evaluating myself. And I thought, I, you know, I respect him. I love his word. I, I, I like everything about church. But I couldn't say that that odd? I finally found out I was tricked by the enemy. The enemy would say, you can't really say that. You don't really love him. You've got too many other things that you care about, and they come before him, and you know it. 
until I learned Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been shut abroad in my heart. And I'm going to take that statement over the false accusation that I'm giving myself that I do not love the Lord. Correct. But I'm going to live by faith in God's word. We can live by faith in what Romans 5, 5 says. Love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Hallelujah. That was a... Do it. Try it. Oh, do it. Just do it. Just tell him that. Another one you can do, and when I caught on to this, I started doing this. I started singing to him. Really, anybody, anybody ever sing to him? Come on. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, yeah. You know, some of my, I, some of the songs I've sung to him, I'm sure they're major hits. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not going to let them out. I mean, I, you know, no, because I forgot them right away. But I, I'm going to get more. I'm going to do more. You know, it says in Colossians and it says in Ephesians, singing songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Boy, that I tell you what, that. Softens your heart, makes it pliable. It also gets rid of uh, destructive thoughts. It gets rid of deceptive thoughts. We could treat ourselves the next time I'm down in the dumps or, or anything and I'm feeling a little depressed or something, sing to the Lord. I've got a promise for you right there. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. I think he loves to be, I think he loves that when you sing to him. Third one is exercise our will. Our will being a big part of us. Our will to follow his leading. Disobedience, we know, hardens our heart. So it's hard to love him with all our heart. This can be real difficult. But when we obey, it keeps, again, our hearts soft and submissive towards him. We can actually enjoy him. It took me a long time to learn to enjoy the Lord. He said, abide in my love. Welcome. Come into my love. Step into me. Step into my love. The fourth one is exercise our conscience before God. And that would be by confessing our sins. Letting, don't let sin out there. You know, all our sins are taken care of. By the blood of Jesus, we know that. So if we if we can, if we have a sin out there that we haven't confessed, or let's say we forgot about it, that's forgiven. But if there's a sin in there that you're doing, and you know it's a sin, the wisest thing to do is go right to the Lord and said, "This is what I'm doing, Lord." And when we confess, that word "confess" means to say the same thing or to agree upon. And we agree, yes, Lord, I know it is a sin. I know it. I confess that to you. It is forgiven. He's already pre-forgiven. But when you confess, you're, you are ratifying that statement of all your sins are forgiven. And it frees you up and it brings you back and it, it it lets you fellowship more freely with him. I don't think he's got a big problem with, with that. He loves us before we were even close to even recognizing or close to accepting him as Lord and Savior. He still loved us. 
It says in Ephesians 2, he loved us while we were dead in our sins. So when we, when we confess our sin, it's, it's like, it, let, let's say there's a, a, a long, long fence and the gate you have to go through is way, way back there. You say, I'm just going to crawl over the fence here. And my car's right over there. I'll just crawl over the fence. So you crawl over the fence and you kind of squash the fence a little bit. That would be like doing something that would be violating your conscience. Your conscience is a, a guardian fence for you. Right from wrong. And when you step on that fence, and next time, you, you know what? I'm going to park over here. I'm going to go in this way. So you, that fence gets squashed a little bit more and a little bit more. Pretty soon, that fence is not doing its job anymore. It's flat. It's down. It's of no avail. The gate is way over there, but you're using this. It's the same way when you sin and you don't bring it to the Lord. And you violate your conscience and you override your conscience. And what happens is, you uh, are starting to break fellowship, and you cannot love God with all your heart when you do that. You can't do it. No, you're born again, even though you're a new creature in Christ, even though you're a child of God. When you get, when you do that, and we violate our conscience, we crawl into the the, the devil's camp. We are, we crawl into his domain. Exactly where he wants us. So we want to keep our fence up. And we want a good conscience. We want to exercise our, our conscience. <clears throat> we don't want our conscience getting insensitive in any way to sin. <clears throat> Finally, I want to close with this. You know, we have a price to pay. There is a price to pay for this. We did not pay for the price of our salvation. We couldn't. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have any way of getting to him other than him doing what he did, dying on the cross, and then calling us in to him, opening our heart to him. All of you that are here today, and, and even those listening at home, you're listening in because your heart is open to him. He opened your heart at one time. He wants to take that heart and he wants to fill it with love and he wants you to exercise that love. If you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, we're going to find out and the more we realize these things, we more realize how much he loves us. We're going to see what a bargain we got. We got a real bargain here. We're going to look back and see that the things of this world are nothing compared to the glory that we